the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Seth Liebson, and today on the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. With war in Israel, President Biden makes a historic visit. We will continue to have Israel's back as you work to defend your people. A missile lands adjacent to a hospital in Gaza. Elite media almost immediately and without evidence blamed Israel. Israel pushed back. Palestinian Health Ministry came out and said that 500 people were killed in this bombing. The Palestinian Health Ministry, Hugh, is Hamas. We'll look at the region on the edge. People are going to have to steal themselves for some pretty tough fighting. And the real culprit, the mullahs in Iran. The Iranians will go full-fledged if they feel that on the ground they have not achieved their goals. All this and more. I'm Seth Liebson, coming to you from Phoenix and AM 960 The Patriot, where I host a program in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. Learn more and listen to my program at 960thepatriot.com. And take a moment to follow me on Twitter, at Seth Liebson. That's Seth, L-E-I-B-S-O-H-N. And follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. To say the situation in Israel remained hot this week feels like an understatement. Israelis are still counting the number of their dead from the most lethal terror attacks since 9-11 and the most costly loss of life for the Jewish community since the Holocaust. Some 200 people are being held hostage, including women, children, and the elderly. With Israel at war, President Biden visited our ally Israel on Wednesday. We will continue to have Israel's back as you work to defend your people. We'll continue to work with you and partners across the region to prevent more tragedy to innocent civilians. Seventy-five years ago, your founders declared that this nation would be one based, quote, based on freedom, justice, and peace. The United States stands with you in defense of that freedom, in pursuit of that justice, and in support of that peace. Today, tomorrow, and always, we promise you. Events on the ground were all the more tense in the wake of a rocket that landed immediately adjacent to a hospital in Gaza. Almost immediately, elite media outlets parroted the line from the Hamas Health Ministry that Israel was responsible for the blast. 500 were dead, they claimed. That was good enough for the New York Times. They ran with it. Their headline, Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. The problem is, it wasn't true. The IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, tried to set the record straight. I can confirm that an analysis of the IDF operational systems indicates that a barrage of rockets was fired by terrorists in Gaza, passing in close proximity to the El Hali Al Mahdi hospital in Gaza at the time it was hit. Intelligence from few sources that we have in our hands indicates that the Islamic Jihad is responsible for the failed rocket launch which hit the hospital in Gaza. I repeat, this is the responsibility of Islamic Jihad that killed innocents in the hospital in Gaza. Michael Oren, Israel's former ambassador to the U.S., joined Hugh Hewitt. 
I cannot believe the New York Times ran with Hamas last night and with terrorist organization oh. spin. I could not believe it. So I'm just going to tee it up to you and say I'm embarrassed for the American media, of which I have been a part for 34 years. We never quoted al-Qaeda. We never believed ISIS. And now we're accepting Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah as spokespeople for events on the ground. Go ahead, doctor. You think this is new? This goes way, way back. Way back. So in one of my Clarity articles, I talk about, I remember that back in 2006, there were nine Palestinians, Muslim children killed on a beach in Gaza. Uh, the world immediately came out and blamed us because the Palestinian health ministry said they were killed by a, a Israeli naval shell. And yet it turned out that they were killed by a landmine, a Hamas landmine planted on the beach. But the damage was done. Every headline blamed us in the world. A couple of years later, 2008, during the cast-led operation against Gaza, you know, I was in that operation, the Hamas Health Ministry reported that 21 Palestinian children had been killed by an Israeli mortar shell that fell into an UNRWA school. And that number quickly doubled to 51. All the world condemned us. All the world. The New York Times ran with that headline, Israel kills 51 children. The UN, of all people, the UN, several weeks later determined that the mortar shell never fell inside the school. It fell outside the school. It did kill 12 people. Nine of them were Hamas terrorists. Three of them were adults. No children were killed. And this is a pattern. The Palestinian Health Ministry says, and this is what happened in this bombing. The Palestinian Health Ministry came out and said that 500 people were killed in this bombing. They later reduced it to about three or even 200. But it's the Palestinian Health Ministry, as if there's such a thing as the Palestinian Health Ministry. The Palestinian Health Ministry, Hugh, is Hamas. Yep. It's Hamas. And just as you said, would you quote the ISIS health ministry or the Al-Qaeda health ministry? And would you put it on equal level with Israel? It is Orwellian. It is Orwellian. It is, and it only exists in one case. Nobody else would say this. It's only a case in the case of Palestinians who sinisterly somehow are killed by Jews. And I think in, in my heart of hearts, uh, just like calling terrorist militants, you only call terrorist militants if their victims are Jews. You only cite the ISIS health ministry, right? If the victims are Palestinians and the and the perpetrators, alleged perpetrators are Jews, there's something anti-Semitic about it. It's very anti-Semitic and it's endemic. And I don't and it's in universities and media more than anywhere else in America. And it's but they have gone too far this time because I think everyone says what? Now, I have to ask you a tough diplomatic question. You are a diplomat of long standing. I have a new affiliate today in Cape May, New Jersey. They may not know Dr. Warren, been on the show for years, former ambassador to the United States from Israel, former deputy minister in an earlier Netanyahu government. Many, many books. I like Ally the most, but he's a military historian as well. So with all that background on the table, John Kirby, Admiral Kirby on Air Force One last night, said Joe Biden was going to ask tough questions of the Israeli government. When he landed in Israel, President Biden said, the other team did the bombing in Gaza. What do you make of the language of Admiral Kirby and the other team language of the president? Wasn't thrilled about it. I, I assume that was for a Middle Eastern and maybe Democratic Party uh, consumptions saying that. And the other team, you know, maybe it's just Joe Biden being Joe Biden, but referring to, you know, Hamas as say, you know, the Crimson Tide, uh, <laughs> it's kind of cringeworthy. I got to tell you, it's kind of cringeworthy. The region, of course, is exceedingly tense. For an overview of the region, we'll turn to retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who served most recently in the Trump administration. 
Kellogg was a guest of Joe Piscopo's on AM 970, The Answer, in New York. 500 people are killed in the hospital. They blame Israel. And we know what happened. There's evidence that it wasn't. It was the Islamic Jihad terror group. And I'm speechless and, and kind of, we're just kind of so frustrated because we had it perfect on the world stage, thanks to you, thanks to the last administration. Where do we go from here, sir? The wolf closest to the sled right now happens to be the Middle East. That's where you put two carrier strike groups there, the two amphibious ready group. But here's what's interesting, Joe. When you look at it, the president goes over there. The Palestinian Authority, you know, Abbas is stiffed him. So did King Abdullah of Jordan stiffed him. And now Sisi's not joining as well. So exactly. He's only it's... making a trip to Netanyahu. And part of the reason why, and the other one, the partner that they've left out, which was stunning to me, is there was no intention to go to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the key. They're the glue. It used to be Egypt back in the day. So the real player, the economic player, the big player out there is, of course, the Saudis. And, of course, Biden, when he comes in, calls Saudi a pariah nation, and he doesn't like Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince, who's going to take over from King Salman, and he's kind of stiffed him. And he doesn't even go there. And yet this is the guys who are going to, with the money, they're the guys who are going to be the major player in the region, and they now have the ability to talk to Iran. So you kind of go, okay, did you have a game plan for this? And I understand why, by the way, the Jordanians – you know, we're kind of concerned about him. You know, people forget that 50% of Jordan's population are Palestinian. Hmm. Queen Rania is Palestinian, his wife. And, right. and you look, so they've got a big Palestinian problem. So they said they're not going to get refugees. You've got a boss out there, and we're giving them $250 million plus to support them. And really, he could go and say, we're not giving you any more money. That's what we did. We just took away the money that they've had and said, no, you're going to have to come and play with us. So, and then Sisi's just sitting there, and he's a friend of the United States. He has good relations with Biden. He had good relations with us. He's got the largest army that's sitting there. But he also, on his front doorstep, is Libya, which is a major concern that they've got. And they're not taking any refugees. And then you've got the concern, obviously, with Iran, Hezbollah to the north. What are they going to do? The reason why you've got the two carrier strike groups there is basically tell Iran, because you can reach out and touch Iran from the eastern Mediterranean, that don't get involved with this. But who knows where this is going to go, because the ground offenses haven't started. And I tell you, Joe, people are going to have to steal themselves for some pretty tough fighting, because the Israelis went in there in 2014. They stayed about a month, and then they came out. It is going to be a brutal fight. It's door-to-door, floor-to-floor, pistol-range shooting. So this thing has got a ways to play before it gets resolved. Yeah, you know, reading here, the older king of uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, that's Osama Nassau, is that right? Well, the oldest king of Saudi Arabia, well, Faisal is the one who actually started it. you got King Salman today, who's basically pretty infirm. That's the reason why the crown prince, who's young and is doing a lot of things in Saudi Arabia, is doing them well, by the way. Trump had a great relationship with him, an incredible relationship with him. They're very close. Here's your comparison. When Trump went to Saudi Arabia, they had the dance of the swords, you know, including President Trump was out there. That was pretty fun to watch. And then, you you know, what, what Biden gets is a fist bump, you know, not yeah. even the shaking of the hand. You, know, you know, that's because, you know, you call them a pariah nation, okay? That's yeah. the reason why you haven't seen very much of them. And the Saudis are still good regardless are still going to be a key player because yeah, of the economics yeah, alone. Yeah. yeah, the older king has been named the most powerful and influential Muslim and Arab leader in the world. When President Trump walked with the elder king and virtually held him up because he was there, and, right. I, and no one That's saw right. that. And I remember I closed in on, on a picture on my iPhone and a, of President Trump's hand holding up the King Salman. And you can make a snarky, you can say it's, it's for business. No, it kept the, the world at peace. And it was so Wait. smart. You know, Joe, it's, it's funny when you say that because they kind of hold hands a lot. And you saw him, I mean, the, here you have the King, King Salman, holding yep. hands with the President of the United States. And yep. that's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of respect. 
Yeah. It's a sign of like. That yeah. didn't happen with Biden. And so that's what I mean, how the president used to do. He would discreetly handle each leader individually and make each one of those leaders yeah. feel like they were the most important person in the room. So that's why I'm worried because I'm seeing, I always start to think, well, how do we get here? We should not be here. And how do you, and, and now we realize at this point, General Kellogg, in, in regards to the last administration, what a delicate balance it was and how you really just kept the peace and how everything just went south here and and they've been training and correct me if i'm wrong they've been training iran has been training hamas now for a year so it was after afghanistan the weakness of this administration they figured we got now they had money they released the six billion gave the hostages back and it was total weakness on behalf of the united states and you cannot be weak you can't appease iran when we have uh, the USS Gerald Ford and the Eisenhower right off uh, the coast, uh, are we going to get involved now? I mean, with the 2,000 troops that are standing by, sir? Well, Jerry, I think we already are. I mean, the fact that, remember, 30 Americans have been killed, and there's well over a dozen missing right now. We lost one American. We killed Soleimani, and That's we told right. the Iranians that. That's and right. for anybody who doesn't think the Iranians don't have their hands in this, I, I don't know if that bridge up in Brooklyn still for sale because I got to want to sell it to them. because you know it's it's a fact of the matter the Iranians are involved they've got the Quds Force leadership out there which is actually their external military force as advisors do you really think that the Hamas in the south could have had a coordinated attack like that which was sea air land blowing holes through the wall isolating three military positions that were there on and on and on of course they had good plan of course they had good training it was something they had never done before. Coming up. The Iranians will go full-fledged if they feel that on the ground they have not achieved their goals. In the next segment of Town Hall Review, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Seth Leibson in this week for Hugh. While Israel does indeed have multiple enemies surrounding them, there is a sense in which they really have one enemy. That would be Iran, or Iran under the leadership of the mullahs and the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Time is over for Israel, Iran's foreign minister threatened this week. Walid Farah served as an advisor to former President Trump and has written widely on Iran and radical Islam. He was a guest of John Solomon's on his podcast. 
Your book has, I think, the best description of Iran's role, particularly as the aircraft carrier that drives Hamas and Hezbollah as the bombers. What will Iran do in this particular moment? What are the pressure points? I'm sure it wants to do more to destabilize not only Israel, but the United States. But I guess the consequences are pretty severe if they do. First of all, on the ground, once Israel moves into Gaza, and the Israelis know that, they're going to open fire from the north, from Hezbollah. They're going to try to do uh, commandos uh, activities in the north, and they're going to try also to use the militias in Syria and Iraq, meaning widen as wide as possible pressure against Israel while Israel is busy in Gaza. But here's the most important point. Iran today is not like Years ago, there is a revolution inside Iran. This is the ideal time for Israel, for the United States, for Arab moderates to support that revolution and to stop Iran. So are you suggesting that the covert operation or covert war against Iran may be in everyone's interest and be more successful now? The chances of success greater because of the the instability, the labor strikes, the women uh, movement in Iran? John, there are millions of Iranians. That's really because I've witnessed this for decades. And today there are witnessed uh, millions of Iranians who, from the Kurdish areas, the Azeris, the Baluch, the Arabs, and the majority of Persians, the youngest among them, and women who do not want this regime. And I really blame ourselves in America that we have not paid enough attention. We have not given them enough support. But now we may have to. If Iran wants to widen the war and become an agent of destabilization in the region, then we need to support the Iranian revolution. There is no question about that. And then I guess there's another question, too, which is, as Director Robert Mueller said many years ago in the FBI, Hezbollah has had sleeper cells inside the United States for the longest time. Some sort of direct engagement by the U.S. on Hezbollah could activate some stuff on our soil as well. Is that a part of the calculation for Joe Biden? I have taught and directed seminars to our national security agencies for years. We had a model into when would Hezbollah start to activating their cells? What would trigger that? When would the Iranians give those orders? We had slides on this. Well, that would happen if basically Hezbollah feels that they are losing the battle and or if Iran feels that their strategic weaponry is out and they are open versus their population. So we have to be ready, the international community, because the Iranians will go full-fledged if they feel that on the ground they have not achieved their goals. And that is why the United States forces and the international community should be ready for whatever Iran has prepared in secret. It's not just the ballistic missiles. They may have something other than the ballistic missiles that they could use before they go down, like the Nazis have tried to do before they went down. What do you have any guesses from all the great work you've done? Is it a radiological weapon? What, what are some of the things that Iran might be tempted to use if it felt like it was on the losing side of this battle? They, as far as we all know, in the public sources world, they don't have the big ones. They don't have the thermonuclear because it needs a big infrastructure. They don't have possibly the median nuclear, but what they may have bought with the money. Remember, we fed them with billions of dollars is to have bought Tactical nukes yeah. is also to have in their in their ability non-conventional weaponry system that they will keep in protection for the protection of their regimes until they get hold of the bigger weapons. That would be the area where all intelligence services should be working on because for Israel, one of those small weapons could be could be devastating because of the width of Israel. That's right. It's such a, it's such a small piece of land. Let's turn to the next phase. I think most. Military experts assume that Israel will prevail in Gaza and root out Hamas. The opportunity then is to not let another extremist organization fill the void, but instead install a political leadership that seems to want to, one, make life better for the Palestinians because they haven't fared well under Hamas. 
uh, and also to create a better form of engagement in the world and a peaceful engagement. When you look out and you handicap, who are some of those players that might be successors to the Hamas uh, political military leadership in Gaza? Let's take the example of the Third Reich after it collapsed at the end of World War II. Uh, the U.S. and the Allies actually occupied. But then what happened was they, first of all, took the control of the educational system because Hamas thrives over radicalizing and indoctrinating generation after generation. Now, do we have partners? Will Israel and the United States and the West have partners? Yes. Now is the role, would be the role for the Abraham Accord countries. Now would be the role of the Arab coalition. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Bahrain, Jordan, Morocco, these countries have their own leaders of Palestinians who are working with them. So it will be an amazing architecture if all of that happens, that they will help in the, I would call it the condominium of Gaza with, with the Israelis and the international community to make sure that a new government is installed. Actually, the legitimacy is with the Palestinian Authority, but maybe many people don't like the Palestinian Authority, but maybe they will slice a piece of it. There are some leaders from Fatah who have committed, the younger ones, that they will go into a liberal democracy, but they cannot do it under Hamas. So this will be a chapter that will come later. But from now to mention it will give hope to many people that after Hamas will not be chaos, but a new Gaza and a new Palestinian society. It's such a remarkable moment. So many opportunities also, so much peril out there. For Americans who are sitting listening to some of this stuff that we talked about, it's pretty scary, and I know that it is. The handicapping what our best security posture is, particularly given what we've allowed our border to be the last two and a half years, the, the, the poorest border. Uh, how concerned should Americans be over the next several weeks and months? The public and, of course, all those who have been dealing with this matter, like such as yourself and other experts in the field, should have been concerned over the past many years. That's right. The infiltration, the penetration, the setting up of cells within the United States has been going on nonstop for the last couple of decades. Significantly, they got more oxygen to move under the Obama administration the last four years, and the last three years were catastrophic, meaning we have and you have been talking about it for, for, for centuries. We have a movement going, crossing through the Rio Grande without any control, without any vetting. It's not that we know that 1,000 jihadis are in. We don't even know how many they are in. We just know how many, the numbers of the uh, illegal migrants who are going in, but we don't know what's in it. But the projections, where do I hear about the projections? From the jihadists themselves when they go online, when they go on broadcast and say, we have now many militants among us who are inside the United States. And that's the part that is the most dangerous. And it's just Iranian Khomeini's jihadists or Al-Qaeda, but all kind of radicals coming from Latin America and elsewhere. And once they are on the inside, they will connect with the radical networks already present in the United States. So I'm warning ourselves, all of us, so we may have not seen yet the beast that has been able to be funded by Iran, funded by the Muslim Brotherhood, and organized within the United States. And as I mentioned earlier in the last few days, look at the operation by Hamas into Israel. 1,200 or 300 Hamas operatives, armed operatives. Look what they've done. Now you can imagine numerically that there are tens of thousands of potential jihadists and Khomeinists and radicals who are now within the United States. This is the most scariest projection that one would think of. Yeah. Oh, it is pretty scary. And it was all avoidable, right? We could have kept the border at the security posture that we had it at at the end of the Trump administration, and we would have 
a significantly better feeling in the pit of our stomach than we do uh, right now. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Look for John Solomon's podcast at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. What is exhilarating seeing innocent civilians being slaughtered? Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. I'm Seth Liebson. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. There is something disturbing about what we have seen in the aftermath of Hamas's terror attack on Israel. I'm referring to the reaction we saw on the street. No, not in Gaza, not in Lebanon, not in Tehran, but in New York City, in Washington, D.C. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst was in the Middle East when Hamas attacked. She was a guest of Hughes. What is wrong with the left in this country, Senator Ernst? This is not hard. 1,400 Israelis plus were slaughtered 11 days ago. Yeah, exactly. And I was in Israel just right after the Hamas attack. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. I was able to visit with Americans and Israeli families that had lost loved ones, had seen their parents taken away from their homes, dragged into the Gaza Strip, babies that had been murdered, children whose hands were tied in front of them and then shot point blank in the head. This is terrorism at its absolute worst, and we can't allow them to get away with it. And where is the far left on this? Why are they not decrying all of these student organizations that are out there cheering on Hamas? Why are they not firing these professors at these universities that are saying this is exhilarating? What is exhilarating seeing innocent civilians being slaughtered? And the president, the leader of the free world, should be out there decrying all of these activities across the United States and the people that are perpetuating this falsehood that Hamas is some heroic organization. I am waiting for the president of the United States to say Iran is guilty because they are. They have sponsored Hamas forever. They are. Hezbollah is just Iran. Iran is just Hezbollah. And so is Hamas. What is your estimate of Iran's culpability for the terrorist attack on 10-7 and the ongoing attacks on Israel from both the north and the south? 93% of the funding for Hamas comes directly from Iran. They may not have planned the attack, but most certainly they enabled the attack. They also fund 100% of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. We know that they fund the Houthis and Hezbollah. Iran is behind it. No doubt about it. So, Hugh, I led a bipartisan delegation into the Middle East. I went to UAE, met up with my delegation in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, went on to Bahrain. And from Bahrain, we were scheduled to go into Israel. 
Unfortunately, as we were waking up in Saudi, getting ready to go to Bahrain, we found out about the attacks on Israel. So our itinerary was disturbed. We had to replan. We ended up going to Jordan in a holding pattern until I could get into Israel. I was very forceful about it. I had Democratic members that also said, Senator, if you're going in, we're going in with you. So we went in, Democrats and I, we spoke in one voice, supporting Israel and the people of this Jewish state. UAE, the United Arab Emirates, is our closest ally in the Muslim and Arab world. They have fought alongside of our troops in Yemen, in Afghanistan. They have worked in Yemen for years. They are our little Sparta ally, Jim Mattis calls them. What was the reaction in the UAE after the massacre? Yes, and I actually was in the UAE prior to the attack. The attack happened while we were in the Middle East. But when I did meet with MBZ, it was a a wonderful discussion because you're right. They are such a close friend and ally. But I will just tell you that their leadership in UAE has been extremely concerned about the lack of leadership in the United States of America. There are great concerns there, and they feel that we have neglected our friendship. And so there was already this growing concern. They felt like they entered into the Abraham Accords, and yet they haven't seen the full extent of the benefits of the Abraham Accords because our president has not aligned himself closely with that region. So there was disappointment already before these attacks. Now, when we went into Saudi Arabia, we had the entire delegation there. We had a very optimistic meeting with the Crown Prince, MBS, and we felt very good about where we were going with the Israeli-Saudi Arabia peace agreement. And oddly enough, then that next morning when we woke up is when we saw Hamas invading Israel. So there's a great deal of distress across the Middle East right now. Of course, you're going to hear the Arab nations saying that they support the Palestinian people. Well, we can understand that dynamic, but you will not hear them saying that they support Hamas because they know Hamas is being funded by Iran. They want peace and stability in the Middle East. And they know as long as these terrorist organizations are out there, they will not see prosperity for their own citizens. Coming up, what is Hamas's goal? What is Islamic Jihad's goal? It's not to better the lives of the people of Gaza. Jonathan Tobin, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in just a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Seth Liebson. When you heard Hamas had attacked Israel, I would not be surprised if you thought to yourself, yes, I've seen this before. Indeed, we have seen Hamas attack Israel before. But this is different. Jonathan Tobin is a smart and serious voice on Israeli affairs. 
He's been a frequent guest on my own program. This week, he joined Michelle Tafoya on her podcast. This appears to be Islamic jihadists firing a missile and it exploded over this hospital and maybe even landed in the parking lot rather than the building itself. What did you make of this whole episode and the way that people responded so quickly to point the finger at Israel? As that unfolded, I I immediately thought this is like a metaphor for the entire discussion of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. I mean, in a sense, you know, for those of us who follow the, you know, who report about comment, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen this movie before. It's It's happened a lot before. But this was so immediate. It was the 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 rush to embrace the narrative uh, just spoke volumes. Now, of course, immediately the fact that, you know, a couple of things. First, the announcement of 500 casualties and the hospital. Remember, this is Hamas. This is, the, you know, the health ministry in Gaza is not some nonprofit, uh, nonpolitical organization. It's a Hamas Outlet. So they gear their, as we've seen many times, they um, exaggerate their own casualty figures. They, you know, and and they cover up often the fact that most of the, you know, many of the casualties are caused by fire from within Gaza. Mm -hmm. We also know that, you know, and, and the IDF has been able to document it because they have the satellite footage in all of these various conflicts, the various flare ups over the years that, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of the rockets that are fired from Gaza at Israel, which are not targeted at, you know, military bases or Israel's Iron Dome batteries. They're just aimed at Israeli villages, towns and cities. You know, they're just trying to cause casualties, whereas Israel does try to target Israeli, you know, Hamas military facilities. But the thing is, they're they're not that well made. Some of it is Iranian, some of it's homemade, and they often fall short. But that serves Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad's purposes too, because their goal is to ramp up Palestinian casualties. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like first principles here. What is Hamas's goal? What is Islamic Jihad's goal? It's not to better the lives of the people of Gaza. It's to destroy Israel and kill as many Jewish people as possible. They're not interested in changing Israel's policies, adjusting its borders, you know, a two-state solution, some other kind of solution. Their only solution is no Israel, no Jews. And everything follows from that. And that's how the only way to understand, you know, the unbelievable atrocities that took place last week. You know, 1,400 dead you know, thousands wounded, approximately 200 people kidnapped. But that, that just, those are just numbers. I mean, as we see the evidence of the just horrific nature of some of these crimes, of people burned, the raping, the, you know, the mass slaughter at a music festival. You know, anytime we have a mass shooting in this country, everybody's hair is on fire, understandably, because these are terrible things. But this was not just some lone lunatic you know, acting out fantasies. This was an organized military operation uh, aimed at causing pain. And, you know, Godwin's law, the the idea that, you know, you never graze the Holocaust, you know, no Holocaust analogies. And I'm often one who sort of enforces that rule. But when you have the largest mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, yeah, how can you not? And, and these awful crimes that are just oh. deliberately cruel, how can you think about it except in that context by people whose only goal is to kill Jews? So, you know, the whole discussion and, and the reason why let's, let's get to the fact why so many in the corporate mainstream media 
you know, just jumped on this narrative, as they so often do, to say, ah, Israel is at fault. And the truth is, many in Israel are, you know, their initial reaction is, oh, my God, did we do something wrong? Let's, right, let's, right. You know, did, did somebody yeah. make a mistake? Like, yeah. there isn't an issue. In, you know, the, it's not the, you know, from the IDF, it's not, not the instant denial. It's like, oh, my gosh, maybe we, did right. some idiot do something wrong? That's what I noted yesterday when and, I saw an interview with with the spokesman for Benjamin Netanyahu, who almost immediately after this happened said, we don't aim at hospitals. They are never our targets. We need to do investigating. He didn't come out and say, no, yeah. no, no, it wasn't us. There wasn't an immediate denial. It was as though we're going to look at this. We're going to investigate, uh, and which they did. And now we've seen some proof that some people just don't want to believe. And and here's here's where I get very confused. <laughs> um, and we've seen all of these outbursts of protests all over America, all over the world. But here in America, people celebrating, professors at Cornell and Harvard celebrating the, the murders. Glory to the murders. It was exhilarating and energizing. This is sick to me. What, what accounts for this? Well, I think there is there are a number of dynamics at, at place here, and, and it, I'll try to unwrap them as as you know with as much brevity as I can. I think certainly ever since the Holocaust, when for a time anti-Semitism became very unfashionable and you know, sort of in bad taste among you know educated nice people, but that was compensated for you know by a lot of people being willing to jump on any narrative who says, well, the Jews aren't so great either. You know, it's sort of like they had to prove that Israel was somehow bad and that lessened the guilt for the Holocaust, lessened the uniqueness of the Holocaust, um, which is why one of the surefire signs of anti-Semitism is comparing Israel to the Nazis, which is insane. And, you know, that's why we see it. There is a need to demonize Israel. When you're speaking of, you know, sort of the far left on uh, college campuses, the demonstrations in the streets of New York and other cities, you know, what went on at Harvard, what on, went on at Columbia, where I went to school a while ago, you know, that is in part based on something that we talk about a lot, that we've been debating a lot about in, in you know, sort of American politics. And that's this whole idea of critical race theory and intersectionality. It's not just, you know, which relates to so many other things, because in that worldview, if you divide the world up into racial ethnic groups, which are solely defined as victims and oppressors, you know, you're one or the other, you know, you're a victim or you've got privilege. And in the ideology of, you know, sort of, you know, the CRT thinking and all the the whole Imbram X. Kendi and the rest of the, you know, uh, you know, a snake oil salesmen that peddle this uh, toxic garbage. Israel and the Jews have white privilege and they're an oppressor state of people of color. Get Michelle's podcast at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. The Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel. In the final segment of the Town Hall Review. Stay with us. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. 
Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. As we look at what is happening with the campus protests in support of Palestine, we should all be paying attention to a repeated refrain we've heard before. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Don't miss the message. The argument is not about territory or borders. They want the Jews gone. Let's pick up with Jonathan Tobin on the notion that Jews somehow don't belong there. In Israel... That's nuts. For a lot of reasons, number one, the majority of Israeli Jews are, by the definitions of the, of the American left, people of color because they trace their origins to North Africa and the Middle East. It's also false because the Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel. <laughs> you know, They belong there. There's thousands of years of history. Jews aren't colonizers in Israel. Um, you know, it's their, it, it's, it's their country. They've always been willing to share it. But they have a place there. They're not like Europeans, you know, French or, or Englishmen settling some far off place in Africa or Asia. This is the Jewish homeland. But there is this desire to fit it into this narrative of oppression and victimhood. Somehow, the, you know, the, the hard left in this country has embraced that, demonized it to the point where even you have, you know, sort of in this intersectional, you know, lunacy, you have groups, LBGTQ groups you know, identifying with the cause of Hamas and the Palestinians and saying that Israel is is evil, you know, is an evil oppressor, when in fact, you know, if you're gay in Gaza, you get thrown off the roof. Yeah. You know, it's illegal. Yeah. It's, Israel is a free country. You know, it is a magnet for the gay community in the Middle East. So there is a willingness to believe that Israel must be bad in order to assuage, you know, sort of the guilt for, for the past and of anti-Semitism, to damp down any discussion of anti-Semitism, to flip it to a narrative about Islamophobia. So it all plays into it. But I, if I can just, you know, pivot a, a moment, as angry as I am about those demonstrations, about the stuff going on on elite campuses, and that's something to be angry about, I am actually much more concerned by sort of the decent liberal opinion of sort of, uh, you know, sort of people who are not cheering for Hamas, who don't justify murder, but then they are so quick in with the same breath to claim that Israel's attempts to defend itself are the same as Hamas war crimes yeah. and crimes against humanity. This moral equivalence, which is dominating, you know, so if you read the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, you watch MSNBC and CNN, that's the dominant narrative. Well, you know, yes, Hamas is bad, but Israel's bad too. No, there is a difference. We need moral clarity. People have a right to defend themselves. Yes. They have a right to go after murderers. And if you treat that action of defending their own people, going after these genocidal organizations as morally equivalent to deliberate attempts to slaughter people, you have no moral compass. Thanks for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. If you've benefited from what we're doing, mention us to a friend. Go to townhallreview.com to sign up for our podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin and producers Alex Perez and David Pouchon and David Dahl. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Seth Liebson, thanking you for joining us at Town Hall Review.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.